Welcome to this month's Ask the Expert podcast featuring Capnick Insurance Group. And today we are talking to our practice leader for construction, Jason McClellan. Jason, how are you today? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Jason, just as a broad overview, when someone says the construction practice at Capnick, what does that entail? That would entail essentially practice policies for contractors. So your excavator, sewer and water, street and road, roofer, etc. The policies that they have to have in place to do business, as well as program specific policies, such as builder's risk or wrap-ups for larger projects, and then as well surety. Surety bonds for bidding public work would be kind of the mainstay of the construction practice. Well, so you just mentioned three things I want to ask about all three of them. Let's start with a wrap policy. Explain what that is to the people out there listening. Yeah, a wrap policy, a wrap-up would be a controlled insurance program, keyword being program. So it is, on the construction side, it's over a large construction project. So the owner or the general contractor implement the policies for coverage, let's say workers' compensation, general liability, excess liability, pollution, for the entire operation or for all contractors on site, and essentially removes the exposure or the liability from the individual contractors and wraps it all up into one program. Economies of scale is an advantage as well as overall safety. Everyone is on the same page with buy-in from the owner, the general contractor, all the way down to you know, a, a small subcontractor on the program. Is that a preference from an insurance standpoint? Is it better for the overall construction project to have everything all wrapped up into one as opposed to having each subcontractor, each general contractor worked on it to have their own policy? I guess it depends on the experience or, you know, defining good or better, but I would definitely feel in most cases it is. One thing it eliminates is kind of the finger pointing when something bad happens. Uh, If you look at like a statute of repose for a state of Michigan where it's seven years, so anything that can come up from the construction, you know, has a seven-year tail. And let's say maybe the contract passed from the owner down to the general contractor to an HVAC contractor, then to a pipe insulation contractor, and then ultimately an insulation contractor. And we have all those parties involved, and there's an issue five years down the road. Rather than having a lawsuit and pulling everyone into that lawsuit, everyone defending themselves, finger pointing, we have one policy in place protecting all of them, working to resolve the issue. Okay. Jason, builder's risk. So just a general overview of a builder's risk policy. In the simplest form, builder's risk provides asset protection, similar to a homeowner's policy. However, on a homeowner's policy, let's say there's an exclusion for a while it's under construction. The builder's risk policy provides coverage while in the course of construction until you get your certificate of occupancy or put to its intended use provides coverage for that owner, for the financial institution, et cetera, in case something was to happen. Okay, so a couple of the perils that could be part of a builder's risk. So, okay, I'm building a house and it's going to cost me $300,000. It's going to take nine months and we're eight months into the project and a fire takes the whole thing down. They've got to rebuild it from scratch. I put the claim in, then what's the value there for? Like, what am I getting back of it? What is the insurance piece kicking in here? So there'll be a valuation of where it is in the course of construction. 
your limit being 300,000. However, you go through an agent like Capnick and we're more than likely going to provide some ancillary coverages for increased cost of construction, which would account for like material increases. So taking your example, let's say you've done that over the last 18 months where lumber went up exponentially, wiring went up, et cetera. So that 300,000 might be 360,000. Through the valuation process, they see, okay, you know, we're only 80% done. In theory, you know, that'd be 260,000 as far as a valuation on, on the claim settlement. However, due to the increased cost of construction, possible changes in building code, having to have architects and engineers re-stamp the prints, you know, some of those additional costs, your claim could be upwards of 320,000. And you'd be looked to made whole. I mean, on a property policy like that, we're looking to make the owner whole again. So, you know, obviously any claim is going to have some frustration to it. You know, claimants never are better off after a claim because you have to go through it. You have to live through it. And there's time and energy involved in that. But at the end of the day, we're looking to make the claimant or the, the owner whole again. So in this case, you're at 260000 replacement cost at that point. But you know, the increased cost of construction and some of those other items. So let me ask this question, because a lot of times when it comes to builders' risk policies, I run into this when I'm talking to either a home owner who is having this done or in either a development company that's doing a commercial project. And they say, oh, well, our contractor is carrying a builder's risk policy. Why is it better for the homeowner or the development company that's doing on a commercial project to carry the builder's risk policy? That's always kind of a push-pull conversation. I mean, who do you want the check written to? If I was a homeowner and I was engaged with a general contractor to build my home and I was obtaining the financing and I was paying them in draws and so forth, I would want the builder's risk in my name. However, if the general contractor is obtaining financing and so forth, you can make a case for them to have it. Sometimes homeowners don't want to get involved, they don't want to be in that process, you know, have a high level of trust for their general contractor, and they say, okay, well, you go ahead and just obtain the builder's risk. However, there's certain items, like we talked, the increased cost of construction, uh, additional overhead and profits for a general contractor, architects, engineers costs, etc., that if the owner, at the end of the day, defers to the general contractor or the builder to just obtain the, the builder's risk, it could be a line item, and they're just trying to find it as cheap as possible. So I would encourage, like in your scenario, let's say you're building a home, that the homeowner's involved in that process, or just at the end of the day, the owner is involved in that process. Because again, the named insured, whoever obtains the policy, that's who the check is being made out to. You mentioned earlier, construction is not just a house or a building. In fact, it could be an excavator. It could be someone working on road construction. It seems like this is an all-encompassing. Is it like anybody who's doing work, building something, falls into construction? It's a fairly broad category. I mean, whether you're building or demolishing, you're improving. We term like, street and road builders, sewer and water, as site improvement contractors. Well, are you improving a site? So are we removing dirt to improve a boat launch, park, etc.? So it's not always four-walled or a structure going up. You know, sewer and water, you could have stories underneath or retention walls, etc. So yeah, it's, it's very broad by definition, and it changes from a pollution remediation contractor uh, kind of across the board, if you will. Jason, you brought up some of the coverages like pollution could be in there and workers comp the whole thing. But construction overall is fairly, would you say dangerous work? 
it can lead to issues. So what are the big exposures that construction generally faces? And this follow-up question is, what is the best way to mitigate those type of exposures? The unique exposure that contractor has from an insurance standpoint is that on the workers' compensation, you're providing a resource or you're operating and you're not necessarily in a four-wall clean exposure or location where maybe on like a manufacturing side or real estate, you know, it's a little bit uh, more tangible and you can understand it. From a construction standpoint, the workers' compensation, you're out in a field, you're in a crawl space, you're on scaffolding, you're on a rooftop, etc. So it's a unique set of exposures that the contractors have. And, and really the best way to mitigate and control those is safety training, top down. Now safety and or just training in general on how to operate and utilize equipment, machinery, tools. You can see the difference in contractors that invest heavily with a greater focus on worksite safety with on-site loss control evaluations or even just claims management where, okay, we had a near miss. What happened? How did it happen? Okay, let's meet as a team to talk about how we can minimize this from happening again. Getting an agent like Kapnick involved to say, hey, Kapnick, we know you have Kapnick Risk Services and Amy DeKaiser and the team over there. How can you guys help us better educate our employees on near misses for slips, trips, and falls, or getting out of a dozer, or operating on rooftops with tie-offs, etc., and really making it a true importance of the company to understand and train employees on the safest, most effective risk management techniques available. The goal here is to avoid claims because if you get hit with claims, it's going to impact your insurance and of that nature. And so the goal is obviously to do it as safely as possible. And these are, as you mentioned, I mean, these aren't inherently sometimes risky operations, but that doesn't mean that people have to get hurt. I mean, you can do a lot of different things. And we have a team at Capnick, as you said, risk solutions that go through and look. You as someone experienced in this particular vertical for most of your career can offer that type of advice to people about like, here's some simple things that you can do. I mean, I had someone who was as simple as every time they got in the car, were they adjusting the mirrors Were they adjusting before they started driving away from the place of business? You know, who else was driving that vehicle before and and things of that nature? I mean, sometimes these are very simple things that you can do to mitigate your risk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the hardest thing is we've all done it, right? To your example, you've driven a car numerous times. You're comfortable with getting a car, starting it, and going off on your way. But really what should happen is a pre-trip inspection. Now, we don't want to overdo it anyway and say, hey, Michael, every time you get in the car, we want you to walk through these eight-point checklists. But at the same point, you should have an internal checklist on the various things you do and going through it. Now, on some level, on the construction site, you legitimately need a checklist, and it needs to be monitored and so forth. But where I was going with that is once you get a guy that's been experienced, it's hard to re-educate and teach you to trust the process of the policies and procedures rather than just saying, I've done this for 20, 30 years. I know what I'm doing. And that's really where you do see a lot of substantial claims, both, you know, liability work comp where it's an employee's been doing it this way for 30 years. Well, there's a reason that there's rules and regulations and training to not do it that way. And we try to repeat that message and assist insureds in getting that across. 
All right. Great stuff, Jason. Appreciate it. And you can reach out to Jason at uh, Jason period McClellan at Kapnick.com or just visit Kapnick.com for more information. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Michael.